page 1083, the vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The second reading continues in the same chapter. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. If you'd like to keep that Bible passage open in front of you, and uh, just to say that the outline of my sermon is on the back of the purple bulletin sheet, so you can see the headings set out there. Well, it's very easy to fall into the trap of total despair as we watch the news. I don't know about you, but I'm a newsaholic, but I can hardly bear to listen to it. There are so many dark clouds, and of course, with modern communication, we can see the tragedies brought to our screens. The flyover collapsing in Calcutta, mothers and children, many of them Christians, celebrating Easter, killed and injured by a bomb in Lahore, and a Muslim shopkeeper who wishes his Christian customers a happy Easter is murdered. Well, we might be tempted to despair until we turn to the Bible. And there we discover it has ever been thus. But if you've been following our series on Revelation, which we will began in the autumn, finish in May, you'll know that there is no need to despair. For one day God is going to deal with all that is evil, and there is hope and joy for all who put their trust in the risen Lord Jesus. And as Revelation 21 wonderfully declares, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and God's reign will be evident to all. There will be no more pain and suffering and death. 
And it's in that context that we consider the last of the I am sayings of Jesus. When Jesus said here in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. And in the Old Testament in Isaiah 5, God's people were described as a vineyard which sadly failed to produce good grapes. And here Jesus speaks of himself as the true vine, the genuine vine, with his father as the gardener. His followers, his disciples are the branches attached to the vine, and these branches would produce good fruit, fruit that would last and would bring glory to God. But faced with all that is wrong in the world, is there anything you and I can do? Jesus here teaches in this passage about the vine that there is indeed. His way is for his followers to live lives that count. Live lives that count. Lives that can individually reach the furthest corners of the world. Lives that can bring light and hope where there is only darkness and despair. So how are we to live so that we make a difference? How are we to live a life that really counts? And here's my first point. We will live a life that counts if we are open to God's word. Look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is speaking to those who've already listened to him, who've been changed by what they've heard, and as branches they've been united to Christ the vine. Here is how J.C. Ryle, the first bishop of Liverpool, described it. The union between the branch of a vine and the main stem is the closest that can be conceived. It's the whole secret of the branch's life, strength, vigor, beauty, and fertility. Separate from the parent's stem, it has no life of its own. The union between Christ and the believers is just as close and just as real. In themselves, believers have no life or strength or spiritual power. They are what they are and feel what they feel and do what they do because they draw out of Jesus a continual supply of grace, help, and ability. But here's the point about living a life that counts. We have a choice. We have a choice as to whether our lives as Christians will be fruitful or unfruitful. And that will depend on how closely we've been listening and responding to Jesus' teaching and his word. One of his letters, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses a different picture to illustrate this truth. He speaks about how Christians build their lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We then have a choice as to how we build on that foundation and the quality of our work will be revealed on the last day when Christ returns. Will we have built gold, silver, or precious stones which will last? Or will we have built wood, hay, or straw? Will God see a life of half-hearted commitment to him or will he see a life spent serving him with all our being? God will show us the eternal significance of our work on earth. And as Paul says, it will be revealed with fire if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If you want to ensure you are building gold, silver, or precious stones, be open to God's word. So I ask you, as I ask myself, am I really open? Are you listening? I think you are. 
we need to listen to what God has to say to us. Do you want to learn from him? Do you want to be changed by him? So immerse yourself in God's words. You can listen to the sermons on, the, on our website if you catch something or miss one, particularly in a series, home group Bible study, your own personal times. There is no shortcut to Bible reading. You can use a paper Bible, an iPhone, a smartphone. There's no excuse. It's all there. I was presented by my family with a new smartphone. I'm still finding my way around it. But on it already is a Bible app. Isn't that amazing? In that way, God talks to us. We can respond. We can obey. Even if at times it's hard to accept. Because we know he cares about us and wants the best for us. So my reading this morning, I always read a psalm on a Sunday, was Psalm 136. I don't know if you know Psalm 136. Let me commend it to you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God, his love endures. Do you know how many times it says his love endures forever? 26 times. So I came this morning thinking, well, God is amazing. His love endures forever. Here we are in the 21st century and God's love endures forever. Isn't that encouraging? I find it so. Because I've read God's word. You see, God speaks today. Do you want to flourish? Do you want to flourish, as the psalmist says, blessed is the man or woman whose delight is in the law, that's the word of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in Susan, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So do you want to flourish like that? I do. Read the Bible. Secondly, we will live a life that counts if we remain in Christ. If we remain in Christ. Look at verse 4. Remain in me, I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It means to have a relationship of continuing dependence on Christ through the Holy Spirit. Jesus faces us with the alternative, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes, you may rush around with work and home and family and finance, but if that's all you do, you will achieve nothing of eternal value. Nothing that will last. Nothing for the kingdom. And it's even possible to do church work. In the north, they have a wonderful phrase to describe somebody who's involved. They say, she's a great church worker. She's a great church worker. And I want to say, yes, but does she, is she remaining in Christ? Or is it all for her? Or him? It's possible to do this church work in your own strength, to be involved in lots of activities God never meant us to be involved in, and you'll have got yourself exhausted for no point at all. Unless the Lord builds the house, says the psalmist, its builders labor in vain. A fruitful life comes from remaining in Christ. My recent illness has made me more determined to prioritize my time for what God wants me to do. What are his priorities for me in my ministry here? Learn to say no as well as to say yes. You see, all of us are wealthy with time. 
We all have 24 hours a day, 365 days in the year. Whoever we are, however wealthy or poor, we have the same amount of time. We are all busy people. And the danger is that in the words of a well-known saying, the urgent takes priority over the important. Nothing is more important than to discover God's priorities for our time and talents. And the only way to do that is to remain in him, to be dependent on him, to stick close to him. Here's my third point. If our lives are to count, we must be prepared for God to prune us. Look at verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, I have to uh, give you a little bit of gardening information or agricultural information. In Jesus' day, vines were pruned twice a year. I think that probably is still the case. In spring, the plants were shaped by reducing the number of possible grapes so that the remaining fruit would be of top quality. They also pruned in autumn, after the harvest, to remove the branches that had borne no fruit. The cuttings were then gathered and burned. Look at verse 6. You see, if a professing follower of Jesus shows none of the fruit of being a believer, a holy life, a desire to do what God requires, then as one commentator put it, the so-called believer becomes a dead branch, unable to bear fruit. There is no permanent place for him in the fellowship of the redeemed. And, of course, Judas Iscariot is a sobering example. He looked like one, but when it came to it, he wasn't. The Bible teaches no one can lose their salvation. Once we're united to Christ, we're always united to him. Once you are, in Jesus' words, born again or born spiritually, you cannot be unborn. But the Bible does teach there will be those who outwardly appear to be Christians and yet are not in reality. It's they who fall away. But back to the spring pruning. The spring pruning is different. It is a benevolent pruning. It has a purpose. While every branch, verse 2, that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. Commentator writes, there is dead wood, sins of pride, independence, selfishness, impatience, covetousness, all dead wood that needs to be cut away from our lives if we are to become more Christ-like. And to encourage us, the writer to the Hebrews highlights the point that it's because God loves us that he disciplines us. It's all for our good. Now, any parent knows that too with children. They don't like it, but it's for their good and because we love them. And there's more encouragement here in verse 2. As an American preacher, John Piper, stated in a conference talk to pastors, God is in control. Jesus wants us to know his Father governs these experiences. Persecution, hardship, and calamity do not come to the branches willy-nilly. They are not aimless or random. They are the work of the vine dresser, and they have a purpose, namely, more fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's a wonderful purpose behind the pruning.
Now, this can be very difficult to accept, particularly if you're going through a hard time. But it's often in those moments that we learn most from God. One lesson I value from my recent illness was a growing understanding that even as I faced uncertainty about the future, there is nothing uncertain about God. In particular, his gospel and his plan of salvation remain true. He never changes. Even if I felt out of control, God was and remains in control. His plans and purposes cannot be thwarted. So I left hospital not only determined to prioritize my time, as I mentioned earlier, but also not to sweat the small stuff, not to allow the unimportant to dominate my life. The writer to the Hebrews is realistic. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Which of us would not want to be more fruitful for God? There is indeed a wonderful purpose behind the pruning. But what does a life that counts look like? What does it look like? In a life that counts, firstly, prayer is answered. Look at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. God is not giving us an open checkbook. The New Testament lays down guidelines about prayer. And there are just three I want to mention. In James, he says we are to pray in faith, believing God is able to do what we ask. John 14, Jesus tells us from his prayer in his name. That means we must not pray for things of which we know Jesus would disapprove. Wasn't it very striking in Michael's prayers? We're to pray not for vengeance. We're to pray even for forgiveness. Jesus calls us to forgive. Very challenging in these days. And thirdly, we should pray, your will be done. Jesus prayed that prayer, as you'll remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He deliberately put his future into the Father's hands. What does it look like? A life that counts. It's a life, secondly, where glory goes to God. Look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The lives of fruitful Christians reflect the character of God. We are God's advertisements. Isn't that frightening? (laughs) We are God's shop window. You know window shopping? I'm very keen on window shopping. You look in from the outside just to see what you think. We are God's shop windows. The lives of fruitful character of uh, fruitful Christians reflect the character of God. Through them, people catch glimpses of what God is truly like. And we live in a world where, which is such confusion about God. The media, you know, if I believed what the media believed about God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a Christian. Such a distorted view. Where are they going to get the real view? Well, actually, it's from us. And there's something immensely attractive about a life that reflects Jesus. People are drawn to him. Isn't that how most of us became Christians? We saw someone who lived in such a way we wanted what they had. We wanted to meet the one they followed. They pointed us to him. They were signposts. And as a result, the glory goes to him. Thirdly, in a life that counts, there is a lasting legacy. 
We, we hear that phrase quite a lot, don't we, about a lasting legacy. That's what the pharaohs wanted. That's why they built the pyramids. Everybody wants a lasting legacy. Politicians want it. Christians want it too. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Did you see that? It's the most amazing verse. Jesus tells us we did not choose him, he chose us. He so arranged people and circumstances that we would be in a place to hear his voice, to turn to him, and to receive his abundant life. Isn't that amazing? For some of us who did not grow up in Christian homes, that is quite a remarkable thing indeed. And Jesus says he has plans and purposes for us, giving us a value and significance way beyond anything our natural gifts would allow. What is the fruit that lasts? Isn't it being allowed to have a part in the growth of his eternal kingdom, such as being used to bring people into a relationship with him, introducing people? Trisha and I often spend our time introducing people. Do you know so-and-so, even at the church family, afterwards over coffee? Have you met so-and-so? But, of course, above all else, the Christian wants to introduce people to Jesus. Being salt and light wherever our front line is at work. Seeing the name of Jesus is once again honored in the public life of our nation. Supporting the work of ministries like our St. Michael's mission partners all over the world. And there is much more here, for the life that counts is a life of love. First for God, then for one another. Look at verse 12. It's a life of joy, verse 11. Not the joy that depends on all going well, but the joy that comes from knowing that our life is safe with him. It's a life of friendship with Jesus, verse 15, whom we try to obey, verse 14. Because that is, above all else, what we want to do. The fruit that lasts Let me finish by quoting from John Piper again in a conference address I referred to earlier. He spoke about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the founder in the 19th century of an amazing mission to China, the China Inland Mission. He was responsible for leading hundreds of missionaries into the interior of China. And his son wrote of him in in this way. Here was a man, almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. I can find no words to describe it, save the scriptural expression, in God. He was in God all the time, and God in him. It was that true abiding, that true remaining, of John 15. What a life. What a legacy. As we look at the church in China now, surely he contributed massively to the life of the kingdom in the nation of the largest nation in the world with a church that is growing massively. Many years ago, we had a house party and the lady who spoke had been born in China. She was in, uh, parent, her parents were medical missionaries. And she had a babysitter, and she wasn't able to go back to China. As you know, all the missionaries were expelled. Eventually, 
comparatively recently, she went back. She went back to the place where she was. Her father was a medical missionary. had managed to start one small Bible study group, and I think the babysitter was a member of that small Bible study group. Imagine his daughter's amazement to discover that the Bible, uh, the Bible study little group with that babysitter leading it was now leading a church of hundreds of people. God is at work. May God grant that you and I, as we also abide, remain in the true vine. May we know that living presence and lives that count. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning humbled that you should want us to make a difference in your world. And we pray above all else that we would learn from this passage in Scripture to remain in you, to be open to you, to learn of you, to follow you and to love you, because even you love us and chose us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.